0: Hi, I'm John Kennedy and welcome to the latest Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. Today I talk to Greg Dooley, who brought the popular board game 30 Seconds to Ireland. And due in part to the pandemic, sales of the game rocked to as many as 30,000 units sold before Christmas 2020. I'm joined today by Greg Dooley of the business 30 Seconds. 30 Seconds is a very popular board game that has sold out across retailers in Ireland in the lead up to Christmas. Last year it sold 20,000 units and this year it will exceed 30,000 units. The game is a firm favourite for many and currently is Smith's top selling board game and Easton's best selling board game ever the The game actually was developed by a chap called Kaylee Estherhousey. I won't pronouncing that right and um it's uh, now widely stocked in the UK and Ireland. I understand that an Irish version of the game was uh, occurred due to a phone call between Greg and a friend Liam Ryan, and under the company name Woodhouse Games, they uh, alongside the original creator of the game Kelly, they uh, decided to bring the game to these shores. so very welcome, Greg. Uh, thanks, John. And then tell me about the game. I, I mean, I haven't had the honour of playing it myself, but I would like to know more about why. Why? What? What? What is making this game so popular? Um,
1: I, I think, well, particularly with reference to Ireland, anyway, it, what makes it so popular is, is it's got Irish content. Like that's pretty rare in board games. We play UK board games, or global board games, or American versions, or whatever. Like early on, we saw this like as a kind of a a pretty unique thing to do. Like there's been a couple of board games I Iron, Discover and whatever that had been around for say 30 years, you know, but there was nothing that kind of referenced or concentrated on kind of popular culture, you know, modern popular culture Well, thrown in with a bit of history and what appealed with 30 seconds is, is a mix of and gathering of everything in it, you know, um, and the whole thing behind the game, the whole psychology or the idea behind it is when you pick up a card with this five names on a card and when you pick them up, and um, you're supposed to be familiar or recognize most of the names. It's not, the, some games work kind of the other way around. They're tricky and you're left, you've got to answer a specific question. And if you don't know the answer, you look kind of dumb or whatever. You know what I mean? So that, Sometimes it, it's not a feel good factor, but the idea with 30 seconds is when somebody picks up a card, you look at the five names, they say, geez, I can do this. It, it's familiar. So, you know, you might have, you know, five names on a card, say James Bond, uh, Leo Varadkar, and um, Tony Kennedy Black Pudding, Lionel Messi and L'Oreal. So there's a mix of international games and, and Irish home brand personalities or brands or places or whatever. So that's the kind of essence. And that's what kind of makes it a hit with people as well. It, it's kind of relevant. Like, there are a few history things in there, like the treaty might be in there or 1916, but, like, the whole card, you know, wouldn't be about that. You know, the next card could... The next name under 1916 could be Roy Keane. That's what... And, it, and that's why it's so important. What we did first day was, when we got the game back 10 years ago, was the biggest job for me to do was convert the South African version, because, obviously, we put all the South African names. There's 2,400 names in the game. So we put them onto a spreadsheet and then I stripped out all the um, South African stuff or other global stuff that wouldn't work here and then slowly filled it up with Irish content and whatever. But the game has to be, I sit down in about March or April of every year and um, I look at last year's print run and I go through the game again and I take out about 200 names every year and put in 200 fresh terms like the likes of I, um, uh, Revolut or TikTok would have gone in this year, you know. So it's vital to keep, for the, especially for the young people, is keeping it up to date and current, you know. So it's not the same, like this year's edition isn't the same as the 2010 edition. There's probably half a different at this stage because if we left it the same, it just wouldn't work now. You know, it has. To, that's the vital thing. Every year, it must be kept up to date.
0: And what is the enduring appeal of board games? We're in a world now where people have their faces stuck into phones, and particularly in families, the teenagers are usually sitting on the couch with their heads stuck in a phone. And you know, I'm sure it's the cause of much consternation. But how do you how what is the what is the enduring appeal of board games? And and does does yeah. it transcend that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah board, board games have, have always been a kind of a, an evergreen product. They survived world wars and droughts and immigration and famines. And they're, they're always been there in some shape or form, whether it's cards or board games or chess or whatever. And I thought the kind of same, because even though I, I, I liked board games when I was younger, maybe in my twenties, by the time I was 30, I was kind of all, you know, you know kids and uh, life and everything. And I, you know, so when, when we thought we'd do this, uh, you know, at, at the time I thought, well, people still play them in big numbers or whatever. So that's where my kind of research began. Um, online research and then walking into stores and to Smith's and the likes and seeing them board game aisles. And I said, sort of, like, if Smith's toys are devoting their very prime real estate space on their shelves to a whole aisle of board games, um, they must be selling. They must be still selling. The board game market in Ireland, when we started, was probably worth about 14, 15 million. I think this year now, 2020, it's, gone up, it's doubled. I think it's about 30 million now, and um, so even though they were always an evergreen product and always, and always selling in the last kind of 10 years, six or seven years, it's been massive growth or globally, a kind of resurgence. And I think, I think the digital, it's the interaction. I mean, that's what people really, when they play board games in, in particular 30 seconds, you know, my, my advice is, is you know is play, you know, a game, a game, a team of girls versus a team of fellas, and you you'll see skin and hair fly. I mean, you'll see people that you might have known for 10 or 15 years or 20 years, and then all of a sudden they're playing 30 seconds against you, and you'll see another side of them that you've never seen before. I mean, stories of legion like that. And that's that's that that's part another part of the appeal. It's a great team game as well. So if, if you're playing, if a group of people are playing, two big teams are always better than lots of small teams. So mm-hmm. if eight people are playing or ten people are playing, just divide it. Into, into half, team five against five, rather than lots of teams with two in them, because the game takes longer than, you know, to go around the table. So you're better with one team playing for 30 seconds, the other team plays for 30 seconds. So everyone gets a choice, everyone gets a chance to describe the words on the card and then be a guesser as well. So say a team of five people are playing, they pick up the card and they describe to their other four people in, in, in the team. You know, and everyone shouting out names and guessing or whatever. So it's quite hectic and frantic, and um, some of the descriptions are can be hilarious. Like so, and um, but obviously it's very successful now. Um, but you know, the first first four or five years were you know were were extremely tough. Like you know, it's a good place now, John. But back then, like it, when you're trying to establish yourself and survive in the market. Uh, that, that was that was difficult.
0: And how did you discover the game yourself and um, tell us a bit about yourself like what what, what were you doing uh, what were you were you looking for this opportunity did you did this fall into your lap? were you already playing the game? Yeah no no it, it just kind of fell
1: into, in, into my lap. I mean my, my background was originally in teaching I went to UCC here a long 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 time ago went to London for a year and then went out to to a post a teaching post out in Zimbabwe um, or as we used to call it Zimba Far away. Back in, geez, that was the, 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 the late eighties. I was nearly five years in Zimbabwe, and while I was there, I got friendly with this Tipperary uh, buddy, uh, Liam Ryan. He taught in a different school to me in Zimbabwe, but we then we taught together. I, they, they, he went down to South Africa, I went down there to Pretoria. We we, we taught in a Christian Brothers College, uh, CBC Pretoria, for for a year, and um, we also got very very friendly. But at the end of that year I, I came home I, I started going out with a girl from Cork here and uh, there was kind of a bit of a dilemma whether to stay in South Africa or, or come home and there's an opportunity of changing careers completely and I, and I went into banking um, for Anglo-Irish Bank at the time and stayed with them for came home got married worked for the bank for 12 years and left in the early noughties all before anything happened, any implosions or anything like that. But I, I, I didn't work in the property side anyway. I was small business loans, uh, leasing, small small asset finance, that that kind of thing. So I, I left, I think it was 2003. Because Anglo, they, they were just all into property and our side of the bank was, sooner or later, it was going to be shut down anyway. So I, I left and I became a finance broker. And kind of the clients that I had in Anglo, they... I, I, they weren't interested in them anymore. So I, I I just took them and worked from an office at home, uh, finance broking, and that was fine. That was I was that was grand for about six or seven years. Just in this time then myself and Lean would chat, text or whatever a couple of times a year. I'd find out what how's life in South Africa and he'd be talking about Cork being tipping another month's to final or something like that. And um, you know, we you know, we were chatting away and he was talking about like he knew I'd left banking and knew I was self-employed. So he, he kind of knew I might have the freedom to look at a project, you know, and that's when he suggested 30 seconds. He kind of said, look, this is this game is huge out here. You know, every second household has it like it's very popular with young people. So he sent me over, couriered over a few games. Obviously, they were the South African version. Obviously, and I've been in South Africa, so I recognised an awful lot more than most people would obviously hear. But I got the, the gist of it. There was enough global uh, names in the game as well that people here would recognise so I gave a few games to a few people, told them the background and told them to give it to people that didn't know me. And just to get initial feedback, you know. And then we said, said about obviously making mock-up cards with Irish content to test. So we did a lot of testing um, over the course of a year on and off. Meanwhile, kind of Ireland was imploding with the financial crash um, and a lot of plans went out the window. I mean, my my income went down by about eighty percent in one year with the finance world. They did, you know, all the finance houses, the banks, just said we're not doing any more business, and that that was that. So we were getting, I was getting close to, you know, I was doing the cards, researching the market, and in my spare time doing what, what, what I could. And then it came to I needed something to keep me going for a year while we brought this to market, and I went back teaching for a year. So I went. Um, up to the North Mon in Cork and um, thought that they were very good to me, gave me plenty of work for the year. We brought it to market just sort of a week before Christmas. Um, I could write a small book on how not to launch and the timing of launching a product, you know, because as most people in business know, like, you know, when you bring something, everything takes twice, three times as long. when there's manufacturing involved and artwork and graphics and all this sort of stuff and changes, because, um, you know, when you make one mistake, like you make 5,000 mistakes. Hmm. Or in the case of production this year, we would make 25,000 mistakes. So it's, uh, if you get it wrong, so you kind of pull back and take your time and whatever. But that creates pressure then on the other side because, you know, Christmas is coming and you haven't launched. But I, I got it, I got it, I got it to, to the market, to Smith's, um, a week before Christmas in 2010 just in the two Cork stores in Mayor Street, Kinsey Road, which, which worked in my favour because we had an awful lot of local interest and programmes like Red FM were fantastic or whatever, giving it a bit of boost just at the right time. So it got it got an important foothold and all the stock that went into Smith's that was just sold out very, very quickly, you know. It was probably about 400 games, but it, it made it smart to get a small national order then in 2011 And then it started from there, but those early years were vital because if if it doesn't sell, that's your your chance gone. It has to keep moving. But in 2012, I think I kind of of got ahead of myself. I said, well, 2011 was our first main year, a full year. And we said that that was successful. I think, you know, relatively, I thought we sold about 1500 games, but we got into Toy Masters and some other stores, small independent said it was kind of growing. But then, in my wisdom, in 2012, I decided, yeah, I think I'll bring out the junior version now, which is a complete Haynes I made of it because, you know, I was a one-man show and um, everything is outsourced. I, mean, I have a great team of people that I outsourced to. You know, manufacturing is done obviously by Cartmundi uh, Ireland and in, in Wardford, the former Hasbro plant. So they manufacture games for all of Europe, and um, so they they handle all that do my logistics warehousing prompt up Dispatch up in Watergrass Hill and I distribute nationwide for us and a fantastic warehousing up there. accountant is locally, graphic designer. So there's, you know, even though it's just me, there's a lot of outsourcing to be done for, you know, you know, fusion communications, my PR team that I use at the back end of the year because I realised that after a few years that you just can't do everything yourself, you know. But going back to the junior version, I thought I could do it. And of course, again, it took longer to do. It took longer to do the cards and and longer to bring it to market. And I knew when I was doing that, I wasn't doing anything but promotion and marketing of the main game. I I actually knew, but I committed to the manufacturing and so I had to go through with it. But I knew, and it took me a couple of years to recover from that. Let's say the main product dipped in that year and it was hard to get things back on track. It took, I think I lost about two years. What I should have done at the time was concentrated on the main product, the main brand, 30 Seconds, Mm -hmm. grew that for four, five years at least, and then did the junior one. But I recovered eventually anyway, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't great at the
0: time. That was a lot of lessons to learn in a very short well, at the early part. I mean, some companies would go under if you made a misstep like of that level. But yeah. because you were probably a one man band, you probably had uh, you could keep going, I suppose that the
1: Yeah, I mean if I made made the mistake with the I mean, you know, this year we've had a very, very successful year despite COVID and everything, but that's because of the groundwork that's been laid down you know, in those early years and in the the, the, the the good growth that's happened in sort of year six, seven, eight, nine, you know.
0: But what led to those particular years, what led to that particular turnaround? What was right? Was they delaying the groundwork or did something happen that made it all of a, all of a sudden very interesting for people? Yeah,
1: I think there was no kind of magic bullet, but but it was culmination of a lot of different things that I was getting right. The numbers are increasing every year. Like the early years, it was kind of, 1500 and I think it was 1500 in the second year but the third year then it went to kind of maybe nearly 3,000 and then 14 to 5,000 and then I think 15 to 8 and then there was a jump between 8 and 14,000 and that year was the kind of year that the kind of you could see it happening okay I was doing a lot more promotion a lot more PR and um, a lot more engagement you know there was a our plan. I, I I rewrote the business plan kind of back in two thousand and fourteen to put an awful lot of effort into it and rewrote it and did did it probably got some got some good independent advice, small business advice here in Cork. They were very very good. A Couple of mentors there, very very good. The local enterprise board. If I had a problem too, they, they'd say look, talk to this person because you've got to. In fairness, you've got to reach out. Like even though these these people were nothing but the board game industry or whatever they could do the numbers and they could sit you down and cold light a day and tell you what an Egypt you were making of yourself or whatever because you know the figures don't lie and you know sort of small business owners we can kind of get so caught up in the day-to-day stuff that like you don't stand back you know so those few years talking to those people was vital as well and now I'm not so afraid of the figures and numbers and, and looking at the trends and whatever you know. But you know you're so you're so wrapped up trying to to establish yourself and get a foothold and exist. And I think that's 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 what you do for those first few years. And then I think in that year five six, there was you know because we maybe sold say twenty thousand games, there was twenty thousand people that had it. Played it with four or five other people, so that's a, maybe a hundred thousand people who had come across it.
0: So it's kind of word. Of, does word of yeah. mouth sell?
1: Oh yeah, I mean that's vital. I mean, what what I mean, what people who bought it, the evangelists, the the, the kind of. They, they, they are fantastic for the game, you know, and that, once you start doing bigger numbers, then there's more and more of that happens, you know.
0: Yeah, clearly, clearly every year you, you additionalize it, you update it, uh, you keep it fresh. Yeah. So what's the future hold for the game now in terms of like the board game as a medium has endured. We're also in a situation where most people are locked in. Uh, they're not out socializing, uh, or at least they—they like, they might want to be, but they're not. In a way, do you find that the ironically this this the, the the turbulent year we've had in terms of the COVID last the COVID crisis has that helped? Do you think maybe actually uh, with interest or would have would have grown that way anyway? Hey, I, I think. Th-
1: it, it definitely helped, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, next year is, is in a known quantity. This might have been a, a one-off year. I still think we would have grown anyway. I mean, this year we've grown by over 60%. Um, we definitely wouldn't have done that in different circumstances. But looking back at the first two months of the year, they were better than the first two months of any other preceding year. The, fig- the trend, you can tell if you get a good January and February. I means a lot of people have bought the game in October, November, December, the word of mouth is spread again, and you can see demand was up. So I was already ordering more last year than I did uh, the previous year. But then when COVID happened, there was a surge in March and April. I mean, I had about 8,000 units in the warehouse in January. Normally, they would be good to our year-end production. They'd last until September, but they were all gone in in May, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so so. but then you're looking at production you're saying do I order a lot more or something because the year is so unknown I mean granted mm-hmm. stores are open people can get in but if the stores are all closed you know that creates a problem okay there's online and whatever but you know, you, you'll never sell as many.
0: Did you at some point have to make a bet then and go, right, Christmas is coming. This is, this is, this is going to be a big sales season. Uh, we did well in the, early, in the early part of the year. I am going to take a bet and assume that we will up our figures on last year. Did you, did you have to take a bet?
1: Oh, yeah, you do. Well, you do every year. But of course, you don't, we, don't, we, we don't call it a bet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, say, we, we say it's all sorts of metrics and this, that and the other, which, but it is,
0: it's your, it's your gut life. Yeah, but there, there are other variables thrown in there because February, March, April, May, a lot of things changed and people were at that time not sure how long this would play out. As you got later into the year, you're also weighing in the factor that there's a lot then of people unemployed, people might be worried about 2021, those variables come into it too, do they? yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is there's so many unknowns, and you can look at it two or three different ways. And it, I suppose, it, it then it comes to you know, you know, how the glass half full, half empty kind of thing. Which way you kind of see things, you know. But the trends, the trends were, were the trends were good. But then, obviously, in terms of manufacturing, because of the increased demand globally, that put an awful lot of pressure on all the manufacturers. Normally, our lead in time, our lead time for manufacturing would be about two months place the order, we have it about two months later, like this year took four to five months, you know, so that has to be factored in, in, in as well. So, yeah, so next year, it's, it's difficult. I mean, even though we have, there's plenty of stock in the stores because we we, we were out of stock from May until um, October and stores that were, stock that was in stores, that was sold out all during the summer. So they were all looking for, for stock. That all went out again in October and November, the start of December. So basically in our warehouse now, we're almost out of stock again, you know, from from the 25,000 units that landed there uh, about six weeks ago, it's nearly all gone, you know. But there's plenty in in the stores anyway, you know what I mean? But, you know, so we've already, I've already ordered uh, 10,000 units for for, uh, February um, because we're, we're going to need it. So the years should get off to a good start. Next year, because, because of demands over the years for a separate booster pack. People who buy the game already, they they want more cards. There, there's plenty of people out there who know the game better than I do because mm-hmm. I get emails and requests on Facebook and all that sort of thing. There's thousands of them over the years saying, I know the game so well, I know the, we know it off by heart, we play it so much. I mean, I don't know the game off by heart. And I do the cards, you know, but mm-hmm. they play it so much that. Once a certain name comes up in the card, and um, they know the, the rest of the team know the answers. The next year, I need to do that booster pack uh, with new names.
0: Well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be questions in the game around COVID nineteen. I'm sure with the, the year we've had. I didn't.
1: I, I didn't like uh, Dr. Tony Hulman. Uh, he, he'll go in all right into the game because <laughs> um, he's natural. He's become a celebrity. Uh, you know, one of the best known personalities in Ireland. Did the, 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 the COVID nineteen the, the disease itself, the condition, I deliberately didn't put it in. I just made this kind of unilateral thing, I don't put it in, things like that. I did give a little nod to but I, I included the, the 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 city, Wuhan. It's on a card, but that, that was about it. You know what I mean? Um sometimes you can go too far, you know, you want to make it relevant, but
0: you know, not, not, not that much. Yeah, you want it it to be tasteful and interesting and challenging and very good. Well, Greg Dooley, thank you so much for joining us. That was fascinating. And I look forward to hearing how you do next year. And uh, hopefully it'll be a better year for everyone. Thank you very much, Greg.
1: Thanks, John. It was great.